Welcome to the Breakaway Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by the message and stick around for more at the end. As Ben mentioned, the thing that I'm passionate about is women loving the Word of God, as women having a passion for the Word and having a faith that is informed by that and being articulate followers of Christ. And I wish that someone had challenged me to be that when I was here in college. It took me a while to get to that place, but that is the thing that gets me up in the morning. And so what I want us to look at tonight is a passage out of 1 Peter, and I want us to think about how do we relate to God's Word? How do we relate to it, specifically as women, okay? Because you probably already know this about yourself. Women are very emotive. I mean, we love to engage our emotions in our faith, right? But we are called to love God in Scripture with our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. And I find that when it comes to women, we need a reminder sometimes that we need to be engaging our mind in the full-on love of our Heavenly Father. So we're going to take a look at that tonight, but we're going to start in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 13 through 16. 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16. It says this, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Now, I don't know how much you know about the letter of 1 Peter, but Peter is writing this letter to a group of believers who are dispersed throughout Asia Minor, and they're enduring a lot of oppression. And so he is going to challenge them in the midst of this oppression to focus on their minds, to get their minds where they need to be, to be able to deal with the situation that they're in. And really, if you think about this, this makes sense, because if you've ever gone through a difficult time, can you rely on your emotions to be a good barometer of what's going on? No. I mean, we have a week out of every month where we can't rely on our emotions to tell us what's going on, much less when we're in a trial. Hey, it's ladies' night at Breakaway. We can say what we want, right? Yes. Now, with that being said, I have to point you to an actually very masculine image that's here in the text. It says, therefore, preparing your minds for action. And literally what that phrase is, is therefore girding up the loins of your mind for action. Okay? And so it's a picture of someone going into battle and taking his robes And he's going to belt them around his waist so that he is able to go into combat and move around freely and do the things that he needs to do. And so he is going to basically, the way you could read this is, therefore, robing your minds for battle. Robing your minds for battle, preparing them for action and being sober-minded. This is the way that Peter admonishes these believers to go into times of difficulty and to face life in general. So... um, Life can be full of surprises, right? Who in here likes surprises? I'm a little iffy on them. I think the issue is is that I don't like bad surprises, and sometimes you don't know whether what you're in for is a good surprise or a bad surprise. 
So when I was a senior here at A&M, I started um, serving as a, a youth counselor at a church at A&M Methodist right off on Northgate. Does anybody go there? Nice. Methodist represent. Okay, so they, um, basically I was sitting in class next to this guy. Um, he was kind of cute. And he was a male youth counselor over there. And I guess I said something about God. And he was like, hey, we need some, some women to come over and help with these youth. Would you want to do that? So what basically ended up happening is there were probably seven or eight guys who were counselors for this youth group. And then there were two or three girls. It was pretty much my first exposure to a group of godly young men. And um, one of the things that was really cool about it is that, you know, like if it was Valentine's Day, they would make us dinner. And it was kind of one of those things where if you were kind of someone like me who never had a date, you felt special anyway. I was for that. So, so they were just really, really great guys. Well, my second semester of my senior year, I had an eight o'clock class. And so I always had to get up really early for it. And um, I remember it was my birthday and I get up out of bed and I take a shower and I hear the coffee maker is on in the kitchen down the hall and I was like, that is so great. One of my roommates must have gotten up and made the coffee. And so I head down the hall um, and I come around the corner into the kitchen and there is the whole kitchen full of these sweet guys making me a surprise birthday breakfast. And as they turn to say, surprise, they all realize what I am realizing at the same moment, and that is that I am wearing not much more than a towel on my head. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't good. And so their faces, I mean, it's like, Instead, I know, take your time. <laughs> Get the picture fully emblazoned. Right, so it's like no one says surprise. All you can hear is sizzling bacon and just <laughs> horror, you know, I mean, just horror. So I freak and I run down the hall, you know, and, and I get back into my room and my roommate is lying in bed just shaking with laughter. <laughs> and I said, why didn't you tell me? And she said, why don't you own a robe? <laughs> so I finally pull it together, right, to go back down there clothed and face these sweet Christian guys. <laughs> and when I got back down to the kitchen, I said, here's the story. One of you has to marry me and the rest of you have to gouge your eyes out. <laughs> now, ironically, I did actually marry one of those guys, <laughs> but I married the one who wasn't able to come that morning. <laughs> Which meant that at my wedding, half of the groomsmen knew more about my anatomy than my husband. Not good. So you can understand why I'm not crazy about surprises. 
but you're probably not either. Not that kind of surprise. We want to limit as much as we can any negative surprises happening in our lives. And so our solution for that is to try to gather as much knowledge as we can, right? So you guys are at a time in your lives where there are all kinds of surprises on the horizon for you. What job am I going to take? Some of you, it's still, what am I going to study? What's my major going to be? You know, what job am I going to take? Who am I going to marry? All of these surprises, these things that are unfolding. And we want to have as much information as we can because you don't want to get into a marriage and be like, surprise, he's psychotic, right? <laughs> so, so what do we do? So we start, we start praying and we ask God things like, Lord, please show me the man that I should marry. You know, Lord, please show me the job that I should take. Lord, please show me the major that I should pursue. And when we do this, we begin to believe that the Christian life is about being informed versus about being prepared. Think about me and my bathrobe situation. My roommate's right. I didn't need to know if anyone was down in the kitchen. I just needed to put on a darn bathrobe because then I'm prepared for whatever is down there by the coffee maker. So then how does this apply to us as believers? How does this apply to us as believers? Well, what's the difference between being informed and being prepared? I don't know if you guys are very familiar with the Old Testament, but have you ever heard the story about Solomon in the Old Testament? He was the king who asked God. God said, you can have power, you can have wealth, you can have whatever you want. What do you want? And Solomon says, all I want is wisdom. God is so pleased with Solomon's response that he gives him wisdom, and then he also gives him power and wealth as well. And so Solomon is a young king. When he comes to the throne, he's probably not even in his 20s. And right out of the gate, and he's the guy everybody knows, oh, this is the wisdom guy, you know. And so right out of the gate, he gets presented with this difficult situation where these two women who are prostitutes are brought in before him, and, and he has to hear their case and decide on what to do. And, and basically what happens is these two women um, come in and, and the one woman is saying that this baby is mine. And the other woman is saying, no, that's my baby. She took my baby. And Solomon has to figure out who the baby belongs to. Because basically one of these women has rolled over and smothered her baby during the night and then decided she'll just go take this other girl's baby and no one will know the difference. Well, I mean, they don't have a test to prove parenthood. You know, there's no, there's no easy way to decide this. So Solomon sits and he listens to the case, and then it's time for him to make his ruling. He has to decide what he's going to do. So what do you think he does? Well, I'll tell you what you and I would have done. Based on the way our Christian culture operates today, we would have said to everyone in the room waiting to hear the answer, you know what, let's all bow our heads in a word of prayer. And then we would say, Lord, please tell me which one of these women this baby belongs to. Just tell me. But that's not what Solomon does. Why? Because Solomon doesn't need knowledge. He already has wisdom. Do you know what the difference is between wisdom and knowledge? Knowledge is the facts, right? Wisdom is taking the facts and making the right decision based on what you know. So Solomon, rather than asking God, who does the baby belong to, says, bring me a sword. I'll just cut the baby in half, and then you can each have half of the baby. And immediately, the real mother steps forward and says, stop. Let her have the child. And right there, Solomon has his answer. Why? Because Solomon was prepared 
so he didn't need to be informed. He was prepared, so he didn't need to be informed. He valued wisdom over knowledge. We need to be like this. I mean, I look at this with my kids, okay? I have a 15-year-old. Now, what if he came down every morning at breakfast and came up to me and said, Mom, what should I have for breakfast today? Should I have Cheerios or should I have waffles? I'd be like, dude, you're 15. Eat some breakfast. <laughs> or if he said, Mom, what should I wear today? Should I wear shorts or should I wear jeans? Well, I don't know, Sherlock. There's two feet of snow outside. What do you think? <laughs> do you see what I'm saying? A good parent doesn't have a child who's that age who's still asking her for information. I want him to be able to take the information that he has and make the right decision based on what he knows. Our Heavenly Father is the same way. Scripture does not promise us that we will be granted knowledge, but you know what it does promise us that we will have? In the book of James, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask of God who gives to all of you liberally without finding fault. So tonight, part of what I want to do is challenge you to want the better thing. Not the which husband, which car, which job. Want to be a person who makes those decisions well. Want to be a person who makes those decisions well because what you're really asking for is knowledge of the future when you ask God those questions. Lord, tell me what's going to happen in the future. But if you know what's going to happen in the future because God told you, then you're not walking by faith and not by sight anymore. That's not how God operates. Being in God's will is not about foreseeing the future. It's about being prepared for whatever the future brings. It is about robing your minds for battle. Robing your minds for battle. So then if God's will is not telling me what's going to happen next, what is it? Well, I mean, that was in our text tonight. It says, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Do you see, this is the thing that God is concerned about for you. God is always more concerned about the decision maker than he is about the decision. He cares more about who you are than what you're choosing to do. Because think about it, it makes sense. What happens if you do choose the right husband, but you're still absolutely self-absorbed? What happens if you choose the right job, but you're still debilitated by pride? What happens if you choose the right major, but you're still selfish? It's not going to matter if you made the right choice, if you're not the right person. Be holy as I am holy. That is God's will for your life. It is about who you are way more than it's about what you do. Now, the two are connected. Why? Because what you do is a function of who you are. But God is always more concerned with who you are than with the choices that you're making. So then it's more about being prepared than it is about being informed. It's about robing your mind for action. So how do we do that? How can we prepare our minds? How can we be sober-minded? Well, we had another clue in the text that we looked at. In verse 16, it said, since it is written... The Word of God is what prepares us to make wise choices and to be holy as God is holy. 
as I said, this is a little bit hard for us to um, get to because as women, we don't typically approach the word and approach our faith even from an intellectual place. And in some settings, that's even looked down on. You know, we say that Christianity is a religion of the heart. And that's true. It is a religion of the heart. But think about this. The heart cannot love what the mind does not know. And so a person who approaches her faith with an emotion that is not informed by what Scripture says is someone who is running on a fuel that is going to run out the second that she hits the crisis point, the second that the bad surprise comes up. Let me give you an example of how this works. There are a lot of people who come to A&M and love the experience of being here. They love the traditions. They love the freedom. They love, heck, they may love cafeteria food. I don't know. They love to go out at night. You know, they love the parties. They love all of that kind of stuff. They love the experience of being here. But that's not why A&M sent them an acceptance letter. It's part of it. But what was the primary reason that A&M sent them an acceptance letter? So that they could come here and be a student so that they could come here and be a student. They love the college experience, but they don't want to embrace the nature of what it means to be a student. They don't want to study. And so what happens when the test comes? They are toast. Does anybody have that dream where you show up for class and you're naked and you haven't studied and you're like, why didn't I go all semester long? What was wrong with me? You guys have that dream? Here's a scary thing. That dream stays with you, and it changes, like, with every life stage. Like, when I got married and started popping out babies, then the dream was, I'm on the A&M campus, and I've got all four of these babies shoved into one stroller. And for some reason, my husband lives across the hall from me in the dorm, right? And so... I would come out with all the babies in the stroller into the hallway, and he'd come out of his room, and he looks all fresh and rested, and he's like, well, I'm off to class. And then I would have to wheel all of these babies across campus, and it was like I couldn't ever get there. I was always, for some reason, trying to find the meteorology building. Like, that's hard to find. And I'm just wheeling this stroller and wheeling, and I'm never getting there. I'm never getting there. And I keep thinking, how am I going to keep these babies quiet during the exam? So it just, the dream just keeps on changing, like, you know, because like when you were in elementary school, you were just naked in your little flip desk, you know, and then by the, so I don't know by the time I'm 85 what that dream is going to look like, but just that idea that, oh my gosh, I've so much enjoyed being here and I thought it was so fun, but at the end of the day, being here is about being a student. It's about taking the test and passing. So what's the parallel here? What's the parallel to Christianity? A lot of people come to their faith because they love the experience of it. They love to be in missions. They love to sing and worship. They love to be in a community group. They love authenticity. They love the way that it feels to be a part of it. But many times what we have forgotten is that that's not primarily what we were called here for. We were called to be disciples. Do you know what that word means, disciple? It means a learner. It means a student. We were called to be students of the one we call Lord. We were called to be students of the word. 
And if we forget that that was our initial calling, when the test comes, we're going to be toast. When the difficult time comes, if I'm found to be biblically ignorant about the God that I say that I love, I'm in big trouble. Because when the test comes is when you find out how much of your faith is based on feeling and how much of your faith is based on fact. I'm going to tell you something that I remember Greg Mott saying at Breakaway all of those years ago when it was 45 of us at the community center. He said to us one night, if you never felt God again, would you still believe he was who he said he was? Wow. I like the feelings. I like the emotion of my faith. And it's not wrong to like it. It's just wrong to have it be uninformed by a love of the word, which shows us who the God is that we love. So then I have to ask you, what kind of a student are you? What kind of a student are you when it comes to your faith? What is your time in the word look like? Is it a time of experiencing or is it a time of preparing? Which is it? I meet with a lot of younger women up at the village because at the ripe old age of 43, I'm practically a granny around that place. Whatever. And, I, and a lot of times these girls talk to me and they say, you know, tell me, what do you do? How do you get in the word? What do you do? And I always say, well, what do you do? And I got to tell you, I hear all kinds of things. I hear things like, well, I just open the word and I read it and I wait for something to jump out at me and wait for it to hit me or ask myself, how does this apply to my life today? You know, and it's all this. And I find myself thinking, okay, see now, some of what I'm hearing sounds like it's more about how you feel at the end of this time that you have in the word than it is about preparing your mind for action. Preparing your mind for action. We have to guard carefully the way that we read the Bible because everything in it was written at a specific time for a specific purpose to a specific people by a specific person. And it's good for us to take that into account. It's important for us to be good students of the word. And here's what I have to say to you tonight. You guys will never understand better than you do right now what it means to be a good student. You understand what it takes to master a topic and to learn it well and to put it to good use. By the time you get to be up in my age bracket, people have lost that. It's hard for them to think in terms of being a student anymore. So what I have to say to you tonight is you have to cling to the understanding you have of being a student right now. Picture this. Imagine doing this for a second. Imagine that you go to your freshman chemistry class, and you walk in, and you sit down, and you take out your textbook, and you open it to somewhere in the middle, and you read a paragraph out of there, and then you close it, and you say, now, how does that apply to my life today? <laughs> oh, really, that really moved me. I'm going to think about that a little bit. <laughs> what, what are the odds that you are going to have any mastery of chemistry at the end of the semester if this is your approach. You know what's likely? You'll be at the final exam and you'll go up to your professor and you'll say, oh, professor, please tell me, is the answer to question number one A or B? <laughs> and your professor will say, 
Did you hear my words? Did you listen to my words? Because if you did, you'd know the answer. It's the same with our Heavenly Father. It's the same with His Word. We treat the Holy Word of God with less respect than we would give to a chemistry textbook. You start at the beginning. You say, who wrote this book? When was it written? To whom was it written? And then you read it for understanding. What does it say? And then you read it for interpretation. What does it mean? And then finally, finally you say, how should it change me? How should it change me? If you want mastery of the scripture, if you want to robe your mind in preparedness for what life is going to bring to you, we must be more serious about the way we approach the word of God. We must love the Lord our God with all of our mind. Let me change the emphasis on that phrase a little bit. We must love the Lord our God with all of our mind. Not John Piper's mind, not Beth Moore's mind, not Ben Stewart's mind, our mind. You are the student. And if the Lord God commands you to love him with your mind, then you are capable. You are capable of doing it well. Love God with your mind because the heart cannot love what the mind does not know. And what that means is that the more we know of him, the more we will love him. The more that we see of him in scripture, that he is who he says he is, the more our love will increase for him. There is a saying that we become what we behold. We become what we behold. And you know that this is true because some of you want to become engineers. And so what are you doing for the next four to however many years? You're going to behold what it means to be an engineer. And at the end, God willing, you will get a diploma that says that you are one. Some of you want to be a teacher, and so you will behold what it means to be a teacher for four years, and in four years from now, someone will say, you are what you have beheld for four years. But being in this room, I'm going to make the assumption that all of you want to be conformed to the image of Christ. Become what you behold. Behold him in his word. Love his word. Hold it in high esteem. Treat it with more respect than you would a common textbook. Do this. It will pay off for you in the long run. I read an article recently about uh, biblical ignorance being rampant in the church today, and it's like the dirty little secret of many believers. They've spent years in the church, and they still don't know their Bibles. It said that a lot of people on this survey that they took thought that Sodom and Gomorrah were a married couple. That's not good. Don't be those girls. Remember what it feels like right now to be smart and capable and understand the challenge before you and methodically go after it and then take those skills and apply them to your love of the word. We become what we behold. May we all become more like our Savior as we behold him in his word. So in closing tonight... I just want to leave you with two things. Number one, 
own a bathrobe and use it. <laughs> and number two, beautiful sister in Christ, robe your mind for action. Welcome to the Breakaway Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. We are here the day after our all-women's breakaway. An incredible all-women's breakaway. And it was awesome. Mm -hmm. We had um, Rudder Auditorium and the girls packed it out. Yeah. Our biggest all-women's ever. Man, 2,000 girls. Oh, what? Almost 2,000. Did I cut you off? Oh, okay. No, like it's my, the biggest one I've ever seen. Yeah. This is insane. I'm assuming it was the biggest one ever. I think it was. I think we could safely say that. Because the girls not only showed up, but they were singing louder than I've ever heard. Man. Worshiping at the top of their lungs. Donna, your wife, Donna Stewart, was leading a band and um, leading the worship. Mm -hmm. Incredible. Mm -hmm. I think uh, I was backstage when she walked off and she was just like, that was so much fun. Like <laughs> There was so, so much just... Uh, not only energy, but just the spirit of God moving in, in mm -hmm. the worship that like people, you could tell obviously were really um, worshiping in spirit and truth, you know, just mm -hmm. enjoying the music. So yeah. it's cool. Well, and if um, you just listened to the talk, you know, that wasn't me. That was Jen Wilkin. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Jen, we met through some common friends, Jordan Johnson. Uh, we were just sitting around saying who, and I asked specifically, do you know some women who can feel comfortable teaching a crowd of girls, have a, has a heart for them, a compassion for them, but loves the word of God and will, will teach the word of God to them. And Jordan was like, I have got the person for you named Jen Wilkin. And I said, okay. And so I went back to Lydia on our staff and said, Lydia, do some recon on mm -hmm. this person. And Lydia came back to me and said, I listened to, I don't know what it was, like six talks. I, I wanted her to listen to like one. She was like, I just kept going, listen to this whole conference she did. She's like, she's awesome. And yeah. so um, Jen had been leading the women's studies up at uh, the Village Church in Dallas. And uh, so we brought her down and man, girls loved her. Mm -hmm. And we did too. Yeah. Awesome job. So, so, so grateful for her definitely grateful for her being willing to come down and lead the all women's breakaway and uh we also had our week three of shalom giving yep and last week the dudes at all men's gave a little over fifteen thousand mm -hmm. dollars which was so cool mm -hmm. and then last night the girls before breakaway had even started gave over twelve thousand dollars. Right. And then by the end of the night they'd given over sixteen thousand. Yeah. Which was just amazing. So that's really what this back half's about. We don't have much to talk about with Jen's talk. It was incredible. I hope you listened to it, enjoyed it. Yes. The real story for us to talk about here is how Shalom's doing. Yeah. So encouraged by what the girls did. Yeah. Uh that puts us just a little past sixty five thousand dollars in three weeks from college students, Woo! which is unreal. <laughs> Our goal, if you remember, was 84,000 for two homes. They need four homes. We said, we'll take on two for 84,000. So we're about 
little over eighteen thousand dollars short. I think when you kind of yep. get our specific Somewhere numbers, something like that. Mm -hmm. So we need our students to roll out on Tuesday to the tune of about $18,000 to hit our goal of building two homes uh, for these children in Nepal. Um, but it's not just for our college students either. Mm -mm. If you are uh, listening to this, you can give online on our website to the Shalom Project yes. and uh, help support Tiny Hands International, who's giving these children a home who have mm -hmm. no home and giving them a refuge those who've been abused and giving them a life and a future in the gospel of jesus christ it's unbelievable how impressive these people are and what they're doing is just a pure good mm. and so we love being behind them and if you want to jump on with us we would love for you to join us uh, and so you've got about a week here to do it uh, and so jump in and, Please, uh, we would love for your support. So, and these are exciting days, man. Seeing mm -hmm. students get pumped up about it, I know a lot of them are still energized, dialed up about what we're doing, and uh, we are too. It's been so encouraging to see them pool together with their groups and uh, come running up with everything from envelopes of cash to little boxes of coins and everything <laughs> in between. Uh, so it is awesome to see the way they are um, getting behind. Uh, bringing the gospel and light and life to the least of these. Yeah, it was so cool today. We were on campus eating lunch with students. We do that once a month. And today, walking into the commons where we were eating, just seeing like lots of people wearing the Shalom shirt mm -hmm. and knowing that there is just a, a physical kind of presence on campus. People can see it, talk about it, and then um, if, you know, they can give, give. And so it's just been really cool to to watch this little thing grow over the last three weeks and the awareness is growing. Because mm -hmm. um, for us, it's not about buying a shirt. It's about making sure people know what's happening to mm -hmm. these children in Nepal. Um, and then the bigger picture of how horrible the issue of sex trafficking and slavery is in the world. Mm -hmm. um, and so we are just doing our little part here in College Station to sound the alarm and then also try to help some people by building a few homes for these kids. And so it's just been so cool seeing that awareness start to just um, make its way through the campus at A&M and then hopefully beyond that. But Totally, man. Well, and uh, we around here, the office have been calling this Women's Week mm -hmm. uh, because we had an incredible all women's. Uh, we're building these homes with Shalom. And again, love you to jump in with us on that. We're so excited about it. And I just, I know they're going to pass our goals next week. I just can't wait for that to come around. That's but, um, uh, we've also got the masterpiece conference this weekend for girls and we've already got several hundred signed up, uh, to come and be a part of a weekend of truth and art and mission with some of our best friends, Marion Jordan and Lauren Chandler and, uh, uh, teaching. And then some of our great friends leading worship, Jordan Johnson and my wife and, uh, Jamie Wells doing art and, uh, projects and, dance and it's just going to be such a dynamic interactive conference for college age women here mm -hmm. in college station so if you got a college age girl out there if you're one and want to come home get down here you can register online and then come join us but it's filling up and it's going to be incredible yep. and so for me just knowing that we're trying to help these girls across the world but then know we're also providing a space for these women to get together and talk about the deep things of how to be a woman who loves the lord and is loved by him 
this is a wonderful week to be doing what we do, man. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's going to be awesome. And so by the time they hear this, we'll probably be um, starting Masterpiece, you know, kind of like yeah, on yeah, Friday yeah. and stuff. So when you hear this, pray for us because we'll be right in the middle of a conference with women um, and it'll be amazing to see what happens. And we'll give you guys updates on not only this yeah. conference Masterpiece, but also Shalom following um, next week because the next time we record a podcast, hopefully we'll be able to kind of just give you guys a little window into where we are with Shalom. And then we will actually go on spring break um, after next week. So we'll yeah. have one more week. You're going to give us a, uh, another message um, yep. in this whole Lord's Prayer series. We're going to wrap it up. And wrap that up. And then we'll go on a little break for a week. And then come back and announce kind of the final Shalom announcement. So we've still got time and uh, probably need to tell people how they can help us. If you'd like to go to our website, that is the way to donate Mm -hmm. uh, online. You can go to breakawayministries.org and it's very easy to find the uh, little place that you click to donate for Shalom Mm -hmm. on our website. And then um, if you do want to come to Breakaway, you can buy a shirt at Breakaway and also just give money at Breakaway. Mm -hmm. But we're not like selling shirts online and shipping them because of the costs and all that. It just gets crazy. And we're really trying to keep the cost down so we can give as much money to Tiny Hands. And so um, I know some of you have been emailing and Facebooking us and Twittering like, I want a shirt, but I live in Dallas, wherever. And we're sorry we're not mailing shirts this year. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But if you know somebody who can buy you a shirt at Breakaway, go for it. And uh, they can pick you one up. But really for us, it's not about the shirts. It's about just making sure we raise as much money as we can to help these these kids. So Mm -hmm. pretty exciting. And then if you want to, you know, check out Masterpiece, you can go to masterpiececonferences.com. That'd be great. Yeah. Well. And then you, sir, leave tomorrow morning and go to Mississippi. That's right. So you're going to Mississippi, Mm -hmm. speaking there. Yes, I am. And then you come back, and we do Masterpiece, mm-hmm. and then you give us one more talk. Yep. It's going to be awesome. I can't wait. And then hopefully, when we come back from spring break, we can also make another announcement about you wrapping up your seminary world. <laughs> yeah, we'll that see. that is important. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see about that. So pray for Ben. Yes, please. <laughs> Lots of travels. Yeah. Uh, Mm. good times but we'll get there very very cool well hey thanks for listening to this podcast and we do hope that this all women's um, breakaway podcast has blessed you and want to thank Jen Wilkins again or Wilkin for coming it's not Wilkins I always say that but want to thank her for coming um, and for Donna for leading the worship and uh, we do count it a privilege to be able to do this so thanks for listening thanks thanks